The following program has been brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery. Cane Vineyard and Winery supports Heritage Radio and the growing movement to change how Americans eat and how we think about our planet. For more information, visit www.cane5.com. And welcome to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We are the ladies of Groundworks Inc. I'm Carmen DeVito. And I'm Alice Marcus Krieg. And we design, install, and maintain gardens in and around New York City. Heritage Radio Network broadcasts from two shipping containers in Bushwick, Brooklyn, located next to Roberta's Pizza at 261 Moore Street. We Dig Plants is produced and engineered by our good friend, Jack Inslee. Yay, Jack! <laughs> Yay, Jack! Um, so, We Dig Plants aims to bring the culture to horticulture. And in doing so, we have a cohort today, and longtime plant friend, Bob Highland of Loomis Creek Nursery. Welcome, Bob. Hi, Alice Hi, Bob. So, Sorry, I can't be there with you in person. I know, oh. we, were, we were looking forward to hanging out with you in our container. Yeah. So was I. <laughs> but once again, Mother Nature gets in the way. That's right. You remember that commercial from the 70s, Bob? You know, you can't fool Mother Nature. I, I'm not old enough to remember commercials from the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> That'll be our own private joke. But I remember she was quite a woman. I always thought she looked like the Statue of Liberty. Uh-huh. Anyway. Anyway. Don't fool, don't fool Mother Nature. It's not nice to fool Mother Nature was the tagline. I'm surprised that hasn't popped up on YouTube lately. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it's there. So besides um, our uh, history besides our plant, love of advertising. Our uh, love of advertising. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a love of plants. Um, and uh, we share another strange endeavor. We both opened a nursery. Alice and I did a while back. And Bob has opened up a nursery, and now he's in the process of uh, closing. Closing, closing in and down nursery. that nursery. And yes. we closed down our nursery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's kind of a bonding experience that we thought we'd share with you today because so many people think, you know, how great, you know, to own a nursery. That must be so easy, just hanging around and watering plants, talking to people all day. Well, you know, we want to shed some light on it. No, it's, it's not that easy uh, to do that. It's kind of the dirtier, harder part of the plant business, trying to make a living while doing that. So to discuss and dish about uh, the delusion that this is, um, we wanted to have Bob on. Now, Bob's nursery, Loomis Creek, specializes in in really unique perennials, shrubs, and and tender perennials. And Bob started Loomis Creek with his partner, Andrew Beckman, in 2003, after a distinguished career as the VP of Horticulture and Operations at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, and after managerial positions at Longwood Gardens and at the San Francisco Botanic Gardens. So Bob is a garden designer, he's a writer, he's a teacher, and he's also an extraordinary plantsman. Um, his partner, Andrew, was the former garden editor for Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia, and he trained at Longwood Gardens in Pennsylvania and has also hosted a gardening radio show on Sirius Satellite Radio called Homegrown for three years. Now, last October, Andrew became the editorial director for Timber Press, which is a great publisher of books on gardening, on ornamental and edible horticulture, and on garden design in Portland, Oregon. So um, they have to move on. 
They have to go west We again. have a great new adventure. Yeah, it's yeah. really exciting. Um, so in 2003, like every good gardener in search of land to cultivate, they grew tired of city gardening and moved 100 miles north of New York City where they purchased a gorgeous piece of property in the beautiful Hudson Valley on which to grow their splendid plants and on which to start their nursery. So it sounds like a dream come true. Who doesn't want to do that? You know, cash it all in, move to the quiet and solitude, open up a retail nursery, sell a few plants, live blissfully in a community that loves plants, promoting horticulture, et cetera, et cetera. Live where you work. Live where you, know. you work. <laughs> so, Bob, in one word, explain. <laughs> I love the one word. Thing. Nursery ownership. Does Can it begin I with the W? The word multiple times, <laughs> yeah. though. Like work, work, work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I knew was going to use something a little more descriptive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew that it began with a W, but it wasn't work. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, but it's work fueled, you know. It's, yeah. It was fueled by a passion and a love for plants and gardening. I mean, you, we can all relate to that. Yeah. But, you know, it did become sort of a love hate relationship. You know, I loved, you know, you know, most of my time the last eight years, but, you know, the part that I really sort of, be, you know, really learned to hate and became to hate was the fact that I wasn't really in control. You know, it, yeah. I worked for higher power, Mother Nature, uh-huh. who really controls the bottom line uh-huh. on so many things, the bottom line on the money, the bottom line on, you know, when the season starts, when people shop, when they don't shop, and... I guess, you know, you learn more about yourself yourself as you go through different adventures in life. I certainly have. And I realize that I'm a control freak, a big control freak, too. But, you know, Mother Nature... Well, most gardeners are. Yeah, (laughs) but Mother Nature has the upper hand. And I guess that's just not a good, you know, it's not a good match for me. Well, and and running a business is, it's a whole other ball game. I mean, you know, if, if you have a rainy May and June... You know, because of Mother Nature, you're you're in big trouble. In big, trouble, in big trouble financially. It's so seasonal. Yeah. You know, like the holiday for retailers. Yeah. You know, the November, December. You know, the May, June. If you don't, you know, if you have lousy weather and you don't make your, you know, you don't your need money. Yeah. your money in May and June, you're out for the season. Really. When when Carmen and I were writing our business plan and shopping it around for investors. Um, everyone was so surprised to learn, actually, that in the retail plant world, um, November and December can be just as profitable, or you know, second profitable to May and June. May and May June, and, June. and yeah. that's you know, that's the you know, if if you're in the urban market, year round garden center. Yes, yeah. yes, you know, ours was a seasonal. Ours really was, uh, you know, I'll call it a micro nursery. A specialty nursery, um, but it was it was definitely a seasonal. We closed down at the so our season was basically April first uh-huh. uh, through. We started with the end of October and then quickly learned up here that you know by Columbus Day weekend, you know the season was over. It's up here. done, yeah. You and know, it's hard it's to just, stretch it out. People, you want you know you try to entice people to come for different things, but they get into this mindset. You know, that it's over mentally, don't they, Bob? Like, they kind of just think, I'm done planting. Oh, oh, definitely. And, you know, you can talk about, you know, and I talk endlessly about extending the season because we all want to do that, right? Yeah, right. You know, and and I really think of November, December, January, February as part of our gardening season. But Uh 
it's not really how people look at it. Right. The public, right. The public, you know, the gardening public, you know, even savvy gardeners for the most part, you know, it's kind of... Well, that's why retail nurseries end up selling Christmas, Christmas trees <laughs> and wreaths and, and like, some pretty hideous things. And, and then you... they move into pet products. <laughs> oh, please. And, and we, you know, we didn't want to go there because that no. really wasn't what was driving. No, you know? no. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It can get really schlocky I really mean, quick. A lot of people suggested, you know, we'll stay open at least November, December and, you know, cash in on the holiday period. And you can, you know, you can sell... You know, cut trees and make lovely wreaths, and but when you when you think about the margins and and the competition for that, right, right, and and then you know the operational aspects, right, the snow, the plowing, you know, where the heat where, for the plants, you right, because then exactly. you have to start heating things, and right. So we just decided, no, it was really about the gardening season, and we just realized that that was that meant April through through October, so it was the seventh month season for us, right. Right. So every weekend counted. And, every and, weekend and, counted. And planning inventory, that was one of the challenges that Alice and I also faced. Let's talk a little bit about that. You know, retailers talk about being stuck with inventory. What about inventory that's perishable? An inventory that has that looks good only for three weeks. Right. You know, how do you right. deal or with that? Right, or that's not in bloom, not in flower. You, mean, you quickly learn that in the nursery mm-hmm. trade. You know, we actually... <clears throat> I guess in, in in a bit of naivety, we thought we would sell green. You know, we would sell plants when they were just on the cusp of blooming. You know, you put it in the ground and they have great energy and they'll kind of take off for you. But, you know, nobody's going to buy a plant when it's out of flower, basically. Right. No, it's retail ready. Retail it's retail ready. ready. <laughs> yep. And and our our business was based on sort of a, a, a different kind of model. We didn't just buy in inventory to kind of resell. It didn't roll off the back of the truck into right. our displays. Right, that's we, what we were doing. Part the of city. the right. part of the Lauren, the appeal was growing plants for us. So right. we would grow what what I term as grow on plants from starter plants from mm-hmm. liners or plugs. I mean, we did some plants from seed, we did some from cuttings, but most of it was a starter plant that we grew on into, you know, a size that we felt was marketable for our crowd. Yeah, right. Well, remember, Bob, when we opened our nursery, you were like two and three years into your operation, and we had talked about, you know, selling Uh, your plants. supplying you plants, right? Right, right. But, um, But we learned about our customer, too. They... Our customer was a, a very young customer. They were many of them first-time gardeners. Um, they wanted easy and basic stuff, and Alice and I wanted to be all, you Nancy know, dip, like, oh, look at this. This is the really right, rare, right. and and they were like, uh, yeah, that's great, but I can't afford it, and it's going to die. You know, yeah, they didn't they didn't have the sophistication that you know that we would have wanted, um, right. and it was and it was a lot of time spent educating the customer. Right. Um, so and we weren't even growing. You were actually growing, so you had to plan for when. So we I, had to, you know, we had a production schedule, you yeah. know, as well as a delivery schedule. See, so, you know, it became sort of complex knowing, you know, when those trucks were going to roll in, and and to you know knowing that there was always some error with that. You know, somebody might not be able to ship. You know, all of a sudden, till the week following, you know, and right. you miss a weekend, which is a critical thing. And right, like that third week in May, right. that third weekend in May, that's like you know. And let's remember, we're dealing with cro- we're, we're dealing with crops. Yeah, we're dealing you know, with a perishable. With a perishable. Crop, so you know. you know, you have no control. Not only do you not have control over the weather, 
you know where you are you have no control the grower has no control over the weather where right. he is right. and the weather in between the two points right. right you know so you think that you're getting it a certain day and it's it's too cold and, right. and they're shipping it later or they're shipping it um i remember when i was working um for smith and hawken they would send these plants from the west coast and they were first of all <laughs> not appropriate you know for our region so right. people didn't know what to do with them yeah. and then they showed up after being a week in a truck yeah, Bob. Right. They looked horrible. Not yeah. you know, <laughs> they were they were spent. They were unidentifiable. You know, they were they were just yeah. you know not not good. Right. That's why we kept control. You know, from the you know buying in the starter plants. You know, mm-hmm. and then controlling sort of the you know the end product was worked out well for us. What was your biggest seller, Bob? Um, so you know, as time went on, um, certainly perennials, but the shrub. The shrub inventory was continually increasing, and of course we were talking that up all the time. Yeah, and I think there is a shifting going on. You know, where we we were so crazed by perennials during the '90s, and you know, right. for a good part of of this, you know, the Gertrude Jekyll phase, right? <laughs> the pure perennial. You know, right. craze. But right. now we're looking. You know, people are really thinking about the mixed border. And maybe a little less work and integrating shrubs and, you know, extend, again, extending the season, the structural plants. Right. Which right. I've always been, you know, really interested and fond of anyway. So. And also, you could probably, the margins are probably better. The bigger the plant is, right, right the more you can get, you know. You can, yeah, yeah, but, you know, right? actually, our margins were probably better on the perennial that we grew from a liner where um, we bought in at a much lower, you know, price point for us. Uh-huh. Mm, right, that's true. And then grew it on. Mm. So there was, uh, that's where we made, you know, that's really where the margins were great for us. Right. You know? And and the piece of property that you purchased, you had to do a lot of improvements on that to get it nursery. Well, we really started the nursery from scratch. I mean, we bought a 25-acre property with two flat uh, fields, basically, and some wetland, which gives us some diversity on the property. Uh-huh. Um, but we really, of the 25 acres, we only carved out one acre very intentionally. That was part of our business plan because we were going to be a container nursery. Right. Not, you know, large stock, you Not know, B&B, B&B stuff right. that was heavy, that required <coughs> equipment, you know, and Forklifts all that comes with owning and, equipment. Right. And if the customer couldn't carry it away in their car, and we got pretty creative about cramming plants into trunks and back seat spaces. <laughs> oh, that's how Carmen and I makes our, make our living. Yeah, you know <laughs> all about that. City gardeners know all about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can, wow, I think we, I think we, there were times, Bob, when we were driving from the North Fork back to the city with our van so full. That we couldn't see out any of the no. windows. Yeah, yeah, I know that. <laughs> I saw this garden designer once um, at at a nursery out in Long Island, where a lot of us shop. And he had a little, you know, of course he had his cool city car. It was a little Citroen, and uh-huh. he had plants just stuffed out the windows. And then he was going to drive sixty five miles an hour into Manhattan down the LIE with his, you know, and hope that the petals didn't fall off in the wind. Oh, I can't yeah, tell you my the favorite <laughs> landscape designer here was a woman who came maybe once or twice a season, but she she had a little Miata convertible. <laughs> and she it was amazing what she stuffed. She yeah. put down the top and yeah. she just kind of crammed, you know, plants hitting here and there. That's and her it business. was stuffed. Yeah. 
Oh, I can't tell you how many times I've driven with plants on my lap and on my feet. Or or don't forget to drive in the HOV lane. You know, you have to have two people. So yeah, there's we nothing like talking a, too much about this. It's sort of like texting and driving. There's you know, nothing sort of like, like a shrub in the passenger seat with a hat on it to make it yeah. look like a person. I've done that. Topiary. Topiary. <laughs> yeah, the things we do for plants. Yeah, there's probably some art, some magazine articles on that. Or oh. I'm not sure it's a whole book, but no, no. But let's also then uh, let's go back to the business discussion. Yeah. Cash on hand, right? Cash is king when you're owning your own business. Yeah. So all those you had to be very wise about all the improvements that you were going to make on the land because you need capital to keep yourself going. Yeah, and again, our you know we started off small and you know with you know in the business plan we have you know had various steps that we envisioned you know growing the business but um we didn't yeah. you know we were fortunate we didn't have to we didn't take out any loans we you know so this we was owned all the your property own? and because there was no business here you know we bought the property with a conventional mortgage uh-huh you know which is something we're learning now as we're trying to sell the property with the business somebody now buying the property and trying to run the business it's a very different ball game right because they would have to get a commercial insurance like a commercial mortgage ah yes which is which much is more really expensive tough. yeah and you know and i guess we just kind of lucked out on some of this you know right. as, as we went along um you know I, I still go back to the sale of my little co-op apartment in park slope brooklyn uh-huh that's really, you know, uh, amazing after I, you know, I bought at it in a down market when I moved to Brooklyn to start my job at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. And I was just kind of blown away with, you know, the increased value of that little co-op, you know, yeah. a little shy of a thousand square feet, but in a lovely building on Prospect Park West. I remember it. You remember it. The and horticulture in front of the building doesn't look the same now that you're gone. You know, that fueled, you know, that fueled the startup of the nursery, really. Uh-huh. So, yeah. so that was very intentional. You know, the, the other part of our business plan was that, you know, uh, of the two partners, Andrew, of course, held down a full-time job and, you know, was making a considerable salary with Martha Stewart, you know. He, right. You know, at the end, he, you know, now that he's moved on, he was with her for 13 years. So right. Wow. So through that a good sort stable. of big buildup of the company. And, and yeah. you know, one of the mistakes I think that we made was, you know, it was a bit of the golden handcuffs. He just, you know, continued, you know, we just never made the break, you know, with mm. Andrew coming full-time to the business, which I think would have been a good thing. Right, Yeah. But it's and, hard because you need the stability. That's yeah, the, and that was supposed to have happened at year five, and you know, right. at year eight, he was still with the business. You know, right. I mean, still with Martha. Right. No, and it's hard to it's hard to give that up. I mean, when Alice and I started our groundworks business, Bob, you know, my husband was the breadwinner. Right. I mean, you right. know, and it took a long time for Alice and I to build it to the point where we had, you know, relied. Well, like, I still had my foot in the horticultural yeah, society. Yeah, we in didn't New York. make the break. You know, and, and it's important, I think, to have some stability because like you said you feel so out of control mother nature right. you know you have no control over that you're dealing with perishable product you're watching your cash yeah go out the window and so to make seasonal and so seasonal like every yeah. minute like i remember when we had our nursery every rainy weekend bob like my hair would stand on end you know what yeah. i mean because i was thinking oh my god money lost, I, money the, money lost. and and <laughs> yeah because people if they 
people are fickle about gardening. They, you know, if one weekend after another they can't do it, they kind of give up and they always, and they would say, oh, I'll do it next late. year. It's too yeah, late. You know, you know, and if you pass a certain magic point, they'll just yeah. actually not garden yeah. or they'll, you know, or that all, you know, and then maybe they'll wait till fall sales. I mean, we have a bit of more of that up here. Yeah, the fall sales. You know, oh it's God. just, it's kind of like yeah. something that we learned when we actually, we, we, we'll talk about that a little later on, but. You know, the markdown of plants, people were just primed that after Labor Day or starting Labor Day weekend yeah. up here in Harding to Zone 5, that everything gets marked down in nurseries. Yeah, yeah. So people would, you know, if you passed the sort of the June 15th and you hadn't shopped for plants, you would just then wait. Right. And then you spend your time watering and trying to keep right. those plants alive. Right. Um, yeah. And then, and then the next selling kind of window you have is in the fall. But that's at a reduced rate. So. But that's at a, you know at, at markdown. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah so even if the, even if that much yeah. uh, smaller, and then you have um, you know you still have your inventory from the spring, and, and you still have your mortgage payments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or your this rent is payments. True. This you know? is true. The landlord doesn't care, right? <laughs> you know? And you're hot, and you're standing out on your lot, hand watering, and cars are passing you by, and um, it's it's a tough business. Yeah. And in fact, cars aren't just driving by, you know, our kind of business is not, it's not an impulse because, you know, we're a destination, we were a destination nursery. I mean, you you found us, you loved us, and we had a very, very loyal customer base. So once discovered, you know, people then would come back over and over again to shop, but it wasn't... You generally don't drive down our little farm lane and go, you know, oh, I'll stop on your by way to yeah. the supermarkets, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like you did in the, like people did in the city at our little lot, right. you know. Right, So, well, we have but, to take a break. Okay. Hang on to the line, Bob. You're All listening right. to We Dig Plants on Heritage Radio Network. service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Join Linda Palaccio for a taste of the past every Thursday at 12 p.m. as she indulges her curiosities about food, cooking, drinking, and dining of the past by taking a journey through culinary history. Linda interviews authors, scholars, friends, and chroniclers to learn about what was eaten, where, and how, from as long ago as ancient Mesopotamia and Rome, right up to the grazing tables and deli counters of today. 
The show underscores food as a lively link between present and past cultures. Again, that's Thursday at 12 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. Hi, welcome back to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We have Bob Highland with us today to talk about the beginnings and the endings of his uh, Loomis Creek Nursery in Hudson, New York. So, Bob, let me ask you about uh, the idea versus the reality. There's a lot of people now uh, who are thinking about becoming farmers and landowners and, and growing things and, and making sure. a living the, with goats and chickens. Yep, and, the farm-to-table thing. Yeah. What advice know. do you have for these whippersnappers? Let's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Green Acres is the place for me. Uh, <laughs> I, well, I think, you know, I'm, I'm always one to, you know, if if to try new adventures. So, uh, you know, why would I squash, you know, somebody's dream? Right. Uh, it's hard work. I mean, I think you try your hand at it. Um, you recommend owning, owning the land, right, Bob? <laughs> that it's on, probably. Yeah, but you might actually, if you're thinking about doing something like this, you might actually, you know, try renting some land. Or, at first, right. At first, and trying your hand before, before investing capital in, into something that you find just, you know, isn't your cup of tea? Yeah, or su- or signing a short-term lease a so short-term that you can get lease. out of it <laughs> if you need to. You know, a cooperative agreement with others or, you know, right. whatever it is. And you have to be flexible. I think that's the most thing. As a business owner. Yeah. Yep. You, can't, you can't think that what you write on paper and what you, you know, either invest in personally or you have others invest in, you know, as 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 investors in your business, you can't always think that what's on paper is what the reality is going right. to be like. Because you don't know until it's so actually out flexible. there. Yeah. yeah. And you have so to you th- have to be really flexible and willing to turn whenever you need to turn and move in a new direction or tweak something or, yeah. Right. And you yeah. can't be taken off, you know, to go do other things when you have a business. That's right. the You have to focus and stay on task, so and to speak. And particularly when you have this living, organic inventory of children, you know, it's, it's like having children. Yeah. I mean, these living, breathing organisms that... They depend on you. They depend on you if the irrigation system goes down or, you know, you're hand-watering certain parts and, you, you know, I had this running battle with some of the folks who worked with me because watering is one of the most critical things with keep particularly through the summer months keeping keeping your inventory looking good right and right. we really prided ourselves on i mean we really were a nursery in a garden setting so when you were within the confines of our nursery you felt like you were in our own personal garden uh-huh. so you know what you saw in the surrounding borders and landscapes you know the inventory had to kind of look like that as fresh and exuberant right. and that's hard to do through those hot dog days of July and August to keep, you know, and you miss a watering regime and things can go down very, very quickly. Yeah. yeah. And it's like any other retail store. You know, I always, after working in retail for so long and also maintaining gardens, when I walk into any kind of shop, I'll, like naturally because of my training and work experience, that's the first thing that's I notice. That's the first thing you see. How, right? how especially Display. a nursery. 
I walk in and I say, how clean does it look? Did they clean the spent leaves off right. of the... And all that extra work pays off because you can sell something that, you know, if it has one brown leaf on it, oh, it's sick. I'm not right. going to buy it. Like, it's that simple. Yeah. Right. You know? Or if there was, you know, a hint of a little bug on a leaf, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't want that one. You know, it's uh-huh. like... Well, so, and things dry out in pots, you know, so much so faster fast. than they do in... Particularly when they have a hefty root system on them, they just dry out that much more quickly. And, yeah. you know, there, there are points of no return and points of, of return, but the product doesn't look as good and then it won't sell. You know, you have to kind of perhaps move it off display for a while. Right. So it's just, yeah, that watering thing, it was my... <laughs> It's the bane of your... And, and to teach people how to water thoroughly and really be observant, that's, that's yeah. the hardest thing to do, I think. So. Yeah, and irrigate, I always say to people, many of our clients um, do have uh, irrigation systems installed, but no irrigation can beat the human eye and hand. Right. That combination, and I even say to our, our gardeners who we have in training, what is, I ask them this question, what is the most important tool for a gardener to have in their toolkit and they kind of look give me this quizzical look and i usually say your eyes your eyes, your eyes yeah, are exactly. the most important because no tool can substitute for that for your for your seeing and watching watching out for insects watching out for plants in wilt mm-hmm. or that are disturbed somehow right that's that's really important and you know um Going that goes a little bit into like staffing. You can't do it all yourself because as a business owner, you have to at some point as it grows focus on big picture. So you can't be there watering and you can't be there doing the sort of more mundane daily things. No, but when, as you know, as you well know, when you own the business, you have to be there. Yeah, it still comes down to you know the bottom line. It's it's you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because no one's going to care as much, no. you know. So then exactly. you put on your like miner's helmet and go at night. You do <laughs> everything that needs that needs to be done, regardless. Yeah. Even I mean, we we you know had had very silly situations where you know we would have like almost um, like like arguments with with staff and coworkers about display, you know, because they would want it to look one way and we would want it to look another way. And we right. had some kind of pragmatic reasons for display because we knew about water and you know the conditions for the plants, but other people would want it different. So we I felt like a chicken with my head cut off all the time. I was running around always moving things back to how I wanted it. how it yeah. was originally set up. And I was always of two, well, sometimes of two minds on that issue because you, at, at some point you try to in, to engage your employees and to give them the freedom to be creative, but yeah. You know, it's well. You know, I think you can. Re- sure, relate to- we had a great gal who was a, a wonderful plants person, and we're we're still friendly with her today. But her pet project was taking cuttings of everything. You know, and she wanted to like rescue every plant, and every plant was sacred. And you know, Alice and I are pragmatic people. We love plants, Bob. But of course, we're like, look, this is not. We're not growing. This is things. not a workshop. This is not right. a workshop. <laughs> we're like, at some point, it gets too junky, so we're, we would throw. We're like, we don't mind you taking cuttings home, but. Our displays have to look clean and fresh. We don't want you taking a million cuttings and making a mini nursery for yourself, you know? Right. Yeah. It became like a battle of wills, and not every plant is sacred, you know? Throw yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm here to make money. You know, end of day, I'm right. here to make money, and I love the plants too, but I'm also trying to, you know, put some food on my table and pay exactly. my bills. 
Yeah, there's a nursery. Um, I, I don't know if it's going to reopen, but it was a sunset. Uh, sunset? Liberty in, Sunset. Li- Liberty Sunset. Oh, Liberty I, Sunset, yes. Yeah. They're, they're going lo- through liquidation I right mean, now. Yeah, they bought, um, you know, they, they had always yeah, a huge... Yeah, I've seen some emails, and I figured that's really what was happening, what yeah, was playing out yeah. there. So. I mean, land in New York City is so expensive, and I guess the landlord finally didn't renew his lease. And, and then in that situation, Bob, how do you find another piece that big? Right. Just the hardest, that's the hardest part. And open space in New York City is just so hard to come by you know right so and And that's why we felt so fortunate you know sort of owning our property and actually having sort of the the freedom and the luxury to expand not that we ever did but you know you could flip side of that was and and my partner andrew called this he he had some phrase it was i had worked at botanic gardens way too long and he botanical Garden itis, or something. he had some. <laughs> no, it wasn't it because you were managing capital projects, right? Managing capital projects, and, and you know, after you work at, at public gardens for so long, it, it is about this sort of sequencing of gardens and sort of an ex- <laughs> the visitor experience, right? And making the connections, and right. Well, that was know, part and, of our and struggle. And we started. Yeah. I, you know, I, I have to admit, it probably influenced me. All, you know, but as we started to develop gardens, you know, you know, we. I was thinking about this journey and progression of things and, and, you know, how do you, with 25 acres, where do you stop and then yeah. you start a new better or border and how do you maintain it and keep it looking good? And right, right. It clearly got away from us. You know, I'm a big vision person and I probably suffered a little bit from... <laughs> well, I think that was our, that was part of our symptom as well in, in our urban nursery is that I had this big vision and then there was the reality of you know, a 5,000 square foot lot and wanting to do all the things I wanted to do, right. you know, and then so we, we would physically have struggles about where plants should be placed to welcome the visitor and create that like sense of awe. Right. But like I said earlier, there's also the pragmatic, like line them up because they're all shade plants and move them out, you and know, move them out, right. <laughs> because you have well, every, well, we actually had discussions about how much money per square foot are we going to get? You know, some of our investors asked us that question. You yeah, know? Oh, of course they would ask you yeah. that. You know, and, right. and that's something to consider too, you know, if it's just you, but if you have other people, you know, investing, especially capital and not just ideas and time, you know, you have to answer to, you know, not right, just those, and those are fair questions for people sure. who are, you know. Exactly. They were welcome questions, you know, because right. it helped us hone in more and more about right. what we were doing. And then you guys also, as did we, we um, events for the public. That became a good kind of um, advertisement for yeah, the Yeah, more nursery. and more we were doing, you know, seasonal workshops, and we always had a customer appreciation event in the fall. Sometime in the fall, it usually landed right after the, you know, Labor Day, you know, uh-huh. during that beginning of September. Um, of course, you know, sales, is that really a customer? But it does. I mean, you make an event around a big sale promotion or right. and, and a workshop. So, it you know, it fuels people's, you know, purchasing of, of, your, of your product. Exactly. Exactly. So, and, and uh, we, you know, quickly developed a website early on and, you know, I... It, it, it morphed into, and I did this Plant of the Week newsletter that I can't tell you how 
I mean, people would come in, they'd, you know, they would print them off every week. <laughs> Some people came in with three-ring binders with all, you know, it's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know you, go, you were really? writing a book, did you? <laughs> But, you know, it was driven by, obviously, I mean, people knew that both Andrew and I had, you know, you know, it wasn't, we weren't just in it for the business. It was clearly a passion. Right. And that we had a lot of experience, years of experience, and we were really, you know, knowledgeable plants people. Yeah, right, right. Uh, And we really actually did try to trial and evaluate and test plants out a bit here, you know, and and pitch the best, you know, I'll use heuchera, you know, do you say heuchera or huchera, mm-hmm. you know, everybody. Tomato, But tomato, um, right. coral bells. Uh-huh. And how many different leaf forms and leaf shapes and leaf colors, you know, every time you turn around, there's five new ones. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Some of which are really dogs in the garden, depending on where they've been bred and how they've been tissue cultured. And, and so, you know, I felt it was important for us to really kind of, whittle these down and, you know, based on growing them in some of our demonstration beds in our borders, you know, to pitch those that really did really were good garden plants in the Hudson Valley in Zone 5B. Right. So people people respected that, I think, and, and knew that we spoke from a, you know, from a point of knowledge. So. Right, exactly. Yeah, you weren't, like you said, just re-wholesaling it and not, and actually, you know, Alice and I do that on a micro level here in the city. A lot of times, you know, the first year that a nursery brings a plant in, Bob, we put it in our own gardens and see how it fares through right. like the heat and through our eventual neglect because we usually neglect our own gardens to take care of other people's gardens. And then we have like a base of plants that we say, you know what? This guy survived last August, you know, with minimal care. Let's think about it for so-and-so's roof terrace because, you know, we know that it can take the humidity, it can take the heat. Yeah, because we don't want to sell our clients something that we don't have first-hand knowledge about. You know, that doesn't make us good Right, designers. because if the plant fails anyway, it'll come back to you in the long, you know, in Absolutely. the long run anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I want, you know, I want repeat business. So. Exactly. <laughs> well, that was very important. You know, when we started the business, we didn't think that we would be in the maintenance business, Bob, at all. Um, no. We thought, you know, well, we'll maintain a few of the gardens the first couple of years. And then, um, you know, we're it's just going to... bread and butter now. Yeah, it's very, it's a, it's a very important, reliable it's part. It's such a critical, you know, aspect of gardening, you know, particularly when when you're designing them too, I take you know great pride and ownership in my designs, and and I've you know come around to that too. It's like I really now I'm trying to sell myself as not that I've been doing it hands on, but the maintenance you know the follow up maintenance is so critical to you know to what you what you've designed and what you sold to the client, and you you know that can go downhill in a matter of months. And right. Look right. nothing like, you know, appear nothing like the vision that you had for your for yourself and for your client. Right. Well, it's the same as I always think about. It. It's not like you, you know, have a baby and then walk away from it. Like, exactly. You have work to do now. You know. Right. <laughs> yeah, giving that's a birth. Long-term commitment, right? That's right. Yeah, the birthing part was only a small, <laughs> right. small, painful part of it. Yeah. And also, we found that we thought that maybe some more of our clients would you know, take ownership of it and and maintain it. But actually the opposite has happened because they've kind of 
really relied on us you know even the ones that want to maintain it they want like a bible after we plant it bob right. you know a bible but then of they instruction don't read it and they don't follow it no no <laughs> they still want us back you know like you can't ever it's like the ex-husband that you can't get rid of you know what i mean like, you know it's just still calling still wants to talk you know boy they, nobody will ever go into the nursery business after they listen to this well, you know? well. we're supposed to help you sell the nursery and the land right Bob? wasn't yeah. that the end? Uh, well, maybe that's a, a bad analogy that. i think we probably have we've we've tried our hand at that and we can probably segue into yeah. yeah you know the liquidation piece of it it's it's not easy because you know particularly for our kind of a business a home-based business somebody had to be interested in sort of the property and not that you would have to definitely live here but it was a commitment to a lifestyle right and we had a number we actually had a number of interested parties looking at looking at this opportunity but i think it was clearly a change of career a, a big change in life for these people and when they really looked at you know the p and l statements <laughs> i think it was like it's as you know it's a lot of work for you know, I don't want to say little return, because that's not really fair either, but it's right. a lot of work for the amount of return that you get in dollars. Exactly. But yes. but but the way of the the lifestyle is yes. an amazing lifestyle. Exactly. Yeah. So, so there's great value there, but, you know, you can't attach dollars to that. Somebody else has to, it has to be of worth to somebody. And exactly. You know, the parties that had, you know, kind of got to a point, they just decided they weren't ready to, you know, give up their New York lifestyles or their fashion world yet. And, right. You know, and make that, you know. So all these foodies that listen, you know, I mean, a big farm-to-table restaurant could be in your in your uh, Well, we, in your had, we had a couple of parties from the city looking at that, but nobody, you know, kind of moved forward, you know. But, but yeah, I think there was opportunity for, and still, still could be, actually. Exactly. And petting zoo, hello. Petting? (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of undeveloped acres. I'm just dying to move out of the city and open up a petting zoo. It's so retro cool, Bob. (laughs) Okay, well, I won't be thinking about that in Portland. So tell us. I wouldn't go there. (laughs) So tell us, um, tell us what's happening now, moving on in the plant world. Andrew is the editor at Timber Press. Right. And you are going to design fabulous gardens in Portland? So that's the game plan right now. I mean, Andrew was headhunted, you know, and, you know, away from Martha Stewart. And when we, and this came up very quickly last summer. I mean, we had, we really weren't looking at changing the nursery and moving on. But, you right. know, the, the idea of, uh, you know, training up three hardiness zones. So we're, we'd be <laughs> yeah, leaving right. zone 5B and going to zone 8B. Right. You know, it's sort of like there was big lore, you know. Yeah. And I've always looked at, you know, having had the opportunity to work and and garden in San Francisco for eight years, Uh I've really kind of always been intrigued by moving back to the West Coast, anywhere from San Francisco up to Vancouver, Canada. Uh So the Pacific Northwest, I mean, it was like we, you know, had to look at this very seriously. And we just decided, you know, we were ready for a new adventure and... 
wanted actually some time to like pursue other things in life. Exactly. You know? Instead of hand watering. Instead Bob, of 24-7 with a hose. I know. To a hose. Yeah. I think you should take over the San Francisco Flower Show, Bob, and just make it amazing. <laughs> oh, oh. No, I know too much about that. So. <laughs> Please, someone help. <laughs> no, I think it's probably, so I'm going to take the Loomis Creek brand. Woo! I mean, it won't be Loomis Creek Nursery anymore, but it'll, it'll um, right now, it's as it stands, it'll be Loomis Creek Gardens, okay. plant-driven plant design and consulting. Okay. And that gives me the opportunity to, you know, do small-scale urban garden design, but also perhaps, you know, consult with public gardens, right. particularly smaller startup public gardens. You know, I've, I've collaborated and done some work with the Garden Conservancy. And so who knows where all this will go, okay. you know? Well, like, you know, flexibility is the key. It's that a big new adventure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cash. I mean, one of us has, you know, uh, uh, a good job. We we think it's stable, but the publishing uh-huh. business is, you know, uh, yeah. like anything. Yeah. But um, we're right actually on, on cue. I, d- I do these reinvent myself every 10 years as I look back at yeah. my sort of career track. Yeah. And every 10 years, it's been a new adventure. Yeah. My, my father did that, too. Every seven years, we were moving to a new city and a new town yeah. and job. And I think it's good. I think it's good to, you know, you know what you love. You know what you're good at. But there's lots of ways of reinventing yeah. yourself. And it's not, everybody's not cut from that same cloth, but for me, that seems to work and sort of re-energize and invigorate me, and I seem to thrive on it, so here we go. Good. (laughs) Well, we wish you good luck, Bob, with the sale of the land, of course, and and the nursery, and and your future endeavors, we we will post about it, we will try to help you get interested parties from Loomis our... Great, Creek. Great. You can Particularly find it on now the- since we've now made an offer on real estate out there. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we have cross fingers for you guys. <laughs> and we look forward to um, more conversations from the West Coast. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Bob, for joining us. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for everything me. that you've done. And um, you're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. Thanks to Jack Inslee for producing and engineering. Thanks to Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And to our sponsor, if you missed any part of the show, please note that it is available via archive on the website, heritageradionetwork.com, and via iTunes podcast. Thanks for listening. See you in the garden. following is a message from HeritageFoodsUSA.com. The difference between wild Alaskan salmon and farmed Atlantic salmon is just as great as the differences between commodity pork and heritage breed pork. Huge! HeritageFoodsUSA.com is lining up a major social buy of sustainably harvested salmon in July and offering it at a phenomenal price to consumers. Check out HeritageFoodsUSA.com for more details on how to get in on this opportunity. Experience salmon the way it should be. following is a public service announcement from Just Food. Help bring live chickens into food challenge communities through your donations to the Just Food City Chicken Project 2011. The City Chicken Project would not be possible without the volunteer hours, donations, large and small, and the vibrant energy and ideas of the communities we work with. Just Food is a nonprofit organization that connects New York City communities and local and urban farmers with the resources and support they need to make fresh, locally grown food accessible to all. To donate, search on kickstarter.com for Just Food and find their City Chicken Project. 
For more information on Just Food, visit justfood.org or call 212-645-9880. That's 212-645-9880. Let's keep making New York City a better place to live and eat. This is Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. Uh, This story comes off of MarketWire. Totally Green enters the U.S. hotel market with Orca, O-R-C-A, Green Machine, installed at the Four Seasons Hotel in Boston, Massachusetts. Totally Green Incorporated, a pioneer in organic food processing systems and compostable packaging alternatives, has installed its revolutionary Orca Green Machine at the Four Seasons Hotel in Boston. Four Seasons Hotels have implemented the Orca Green Machine to establish on-site composting of organic food waste generated by its restaurant and cuisine services. The organic composter saves the hotel tipping or disposal costs. The organic refuse produced by the hotel no longer needs to be hauled away. The Orca Green Machine composts up to 2,400 pounds of organic refuse per day into harmless, nutrient-rich gray water that can be safely put into the sanitary sewer system. The Four Seasons Hotel staff deposits any organic food waste generated throughout the hotel's guest rooms and restaurants into the composting machine. This aerobic compost process complements Four Seasons' environmental mission to support sustainability by reducing the amount of methane-producing organic material that they send to landfills. Well, kudos to the Four Seasons Hotel chain because um, everybody could do that if they wanted to spend the money. I thought that was a really interesting story. This has been Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. Check out a small clip from The Food Scene, hosted by Michael Harlan Turkel, a show where food and art intersect. I think most recently you had a chocolate waterfall that had five tons uh, of chocolate flowing, <laughs> and you'd put on, what, a protective suit, walk through a waterfall, yeah. make your own chocolates within this kind of contained environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and most recently, a rabbit cafe. Yeah. Can you explain that one to me a little bit? Well, I... And this also slightly comes from jellies as well, because in England, everyone has these uh, rabbit jelly molds. It's the most popular mold. Everyone goes, oh, I had rabbit jellies yeah. as a kid. <laughs> and we've always been utterly bewildered by it. Why, why rabbit jellies? The only way to get to the bottom of it was to get a whole herd of rabbits, open a cafe with them, and have people touch rabbits and eat. Yeah. Um, so it kind of has resonance with uh, one, of, one of our favorite cookbooks, which we think an awful lot of uh, you know, modern chefs have, have as their dark secret under their pillow. 